Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We are joined by two guests this week, one of whom is a return guest and one of whom is a first-time guest. Uh, first of all, um, we are joined by WIM Natasha Regan, who, of course, longtime listeners may remember, is the co-author of the outstanding books Game Changer and Chess for Life, in which she collaborated with Grandmaster Matthew Sadler. Uh, Natasha, of course, is a WIM, a two-time chess Olympian for England, uh, 2023 England Women's Senior Chess Champion. She's also a shogi and a Go enthusiast, and uh, she is an actuary by day, so I don't know how she does it all. She And her co-author of the course we will be discussing, among other things, is a gentleman by the name of Matthew Ball. He is a publishing director of a newspaper about the art market called Antiques Trade Gazette. He recently got back into chess through his kids, as many of us do. He played as a youth. His kids struck an interest. And then all of a sudden, now he's a FIDE national instructor. He's coaching at his school's club. He's a dedicated improver. He's managed to achieve the rare feat of gaining rating points into his 50s. So we're going to have plenty to talk about. We also, of course, should mention that together they are the co-authors of a brand new chessable course called Zwischenzug, a comprehensive guide to intermediate moves. Um which I, as they correctly, I believe, identify in the course, it might be the first dedicated literature to one of the coolest chess tactics out there, to my mind. And speaking of Chessable, did want to give them a quick shout out. They are the presenting chess education sponsors. A couple other new courses to check for. Of course, recent guest Grandmaster Ben Feingold, friend of the pod, Hans Schutt, finally has his Milner Berry course, which I've been waiting for as someone who scored a lot of points with the Milner Berry when I was a kid. Although these days, engines are not as kind to it as my opponents were back in the day, but I'm excited to check that one out as well. You can check out all my recommendations. There's a link in the show description, but without further ado, let's welcome our guest. First up, welcome back, Natasha. Thank you very much. And welcome, oh, Matthew. Great to, be here. great to be here. Thank you very much, Ben. Yeah. So for listeners, we're going to come clean. We had a few tech issues and Matthew just walked us through his whole uh, chess 
re resurgence, um, which um, I had known some details of, but Matthew, so basically your daughter found a trophy and, um, and got you back into chess through that. Yeah. She was of an age where she liked shiny things. Saw one in the cabinet said, how'd you get that? And I said, well, I got it playing chess. Well, you have to show me how to do that because I want to win these things. So, uh, well, I had to teach somebody chess and then of course I had to teach her younger brother chess as well. Um, they started playing tournaments and one day, uh, my wife entered them in the local chess Congress and said, uh, well, I've put your name down for it as well. Cause otherwise you're just going to be sitting around all day waiting for them to finish their games. So, uh, Julie, I had to, uh, play, uh, play the games and, uh, I was unrated player in the, uh, bottom section and I got three and a half out of five, which was okay. Um, but really for the next week, I couldn't stop thinking about the five games I played. It was, uh, quite a buzz and kind of remembered or reminded me of, uh, how it was in my youth. And, um, I've just gone on from there and continued to play tournaments and also, um, develop a coaching streak. Yeah, it seems like I, I admire that you've gotten into chess from so many angles, as we'll be discussing. And and what year was it that that this occurred with your with your daughter, Matthew? Uh, well, um, I guess that was probably around twenty thirteen that she started something like that, and then this chess congress where I played was uh, twenty eighteen. Okay. And Natasha, I understand that you had played Matthew as a kid and then you guys went to university together and then eventually your paths crossed again. Is that all correct? That's right. So um, when I was learning chess, it was in a, an English county called Buckinghamshire, uh, not far from London. And um, I joined my local junior club, uh, so Chalfont Chess Club, and we played matches against all the local schools. Um, and so um, Matt's school was um, Royal Grammar School High Wycombe, if I remember right. And um, we had we had lots of matches against the school. Now, Matt was really quite a fearsome opponent um, in those days. And um, and so so none of us wanted to play against him. Um, but uh, then we yes we played so we must have played quite a few times um over the years um when i was a teenager um okay. and then yeah well i was gonna ask and then when did did you rec who recognized who when you guys saw each other again i think it must have been you matt recognized me right because i yeah. think um we came along to uh matthew sadler and i went to do um a coaching session for the juniors um at one of matt's local tournaments um when we just brought out chess for life i think that that was about the the time um and uh, you had you had one of our books i think matt yeah yeah well i managed to get, managed to get it autographed which was which was good i mean we were we were at the same university at the same time but we didn't actually know each other was there so you know those kind of three four years passed us by if you like and oh. so it's, it's much more recently that uh, our, our paths have crossed again so yeah first with a kind of book signing at an event and then last year we um kind of both signed up to play in the england squad at the uh, world senior teams championship so uh, we kind of just uh saw each other in the bar of the hotel in italy which was a bit surreal oh nice. but it was a really nice tournament um yeah. i hadn't played in in like an international seniors event before 
Um, but it was like a really nice atmosphere. We went with a squad of about 30 players, probably more from England. Um, and sort of everyone knew each other or got to know each other. Um, and it's sort of a, a slightly different atmosphere being, it's a little bit less se- serious when you're at senior level. Um, although um, our, our open team, so that was like Michael Adams, Nigel Short, um, Mark Hebton, Keith Arkell, John Ems, um, they 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 were very serious about winning as well as having a nice time. But it was like all of us were, were kind of staying together in the same hotel and it was very sociable. Um, so it was just just kind of really nice because because I'd known those players um, really since uh, since my teens, um, like all of those players. And we'd all kind of uh, got got older together, got to senior level together. Um, so it was, it's, it's sort of very nice. And then they became the um, open champions and the women's team. Also, we became the women's champions at that event. So it was um, just just um, really good atmosphere. Yeah, it, it sounds great. And actually, Natasha, it segues right into um, a Patreon mailbag question from a supporter of the podcast. Um, this is from David Lazarus, who helps run the Westfield Chess Club. If anyone is in the North Jersey area, uh, North New Jersey, that is, um, it's well worth getting into their weekly events. Um, now, David asks Natasha, he says he wonders if you have a different strategy when you're playing seniors as opposed to playing against kids. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I do kind of, um, when I've played kid, well, I definitely remember this one game and I was playing a kid and, um, and what I'd always heard was that kids don't, don't play end games so well. And I, I just remember I was playing this game at King's place. It was a, a quick play in London, um, very nice event. And I was playing this tiny kid and I decided I'd just swap everything off into the end game and, and just win the end game. Um, and but unfortunately, this kid was really, really good at end games, and actually, it completely backfired. And from an even position, I ended up losing. But um, against seniors, I think what I what I feel like might be true is um, is I don't need to worry so much about the opening theory. In that um, I can I I could still attempt to play sharp lines and um, and be okay. Um, and I know, um, I think, I think John Nunn has, has commented on that as well. Like, cause he always, like all his life, he's played these, um, very kind of sharp E4 lines, uh, lots of theory. And he also, he likes playing the senior events where he can play whatever lines he likes and, and it's not so bad, but before you get the wrong idea, um, actually the senior events, these people are very well prepared actually when you go into the game so so uh, we had typically like the game would be in the afternoon and you have the morning to prep up for your games um, but i've played in the worlds and the european um seniors and and in both events your opponents typically know all about what you do and they they've, they've prepped well for the game so it it's not that they don't know any theory but you feel like um you just feel a bit, I, I, or anyway, I do, I feel a bit more confident in being able to experiment a little bit more um, compared with events with juniors. Yeah. As we were talking about before recording, I'm finalizing my book draft and I do have a chapter in there about playing against kids, but 
And a lot of the advice you shared, Natasha, is, has been sort of the received wisdom over the years. And yeah. I echo some of it, but I also felt like a little disingenuous as I sat down to write it because I'm like, well, wait a minute. These days, like the kids beat me all the time, you know, and a lot of the uh, a lot of the the tips you you might hear, like, yeah. you know, take them to the end game, you know, um, in sports, they yeah. call it like, take you know, taking the air out of the ball. You don't want it to be a dynamic yeah. game. Um, but these days, I'm not sure if there's any way around it. They they just play so well. And Matthew, I know that you've played some senior events, been, but you, at least through the lens of your kids, get to see kids play as well. Are you competing against kids in some of your events as well, Matthew? Yeah, they will um, enter open tournaments rather than just the kind of age-gated junior events. And uh, that's often a way for them to uh, gain experience, but also rating points more quickly. Um, actually, these days, I find a lot of the a lot of the children around the similar age to Mike is say they no longer really enjoy playing the junior tournaments as much because it's the same players. They've seen them for years and they need a bit of variety and they feel less pressure when they play in the play in the open events. OK, um, so that's that's been an interesting change, probably when they're younger, when they're kind of under, under below the age of 12 or something, you know, they'll they'll play in whatever tournaments with with the age range but increasingly they want to play in open tournaments and have a variety of opponents and that will include adults but they'll often come up against other other juniors i think i found um again from probably the children below the age of 12 early on um they could play a lot of book openings but there'd come a point when they needed to slow down and take five or ten minutes on a move because it was the key position um, but they would still be playing at the same speed and you'd be looking out for that position and that move as a potential game changer in your favor. No, no pun intended. I do intended. have a, a um, yeah. special opening that I play against certain kids. I probably shouldn't give this away at all. Oh, but no, this sounds like the good stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so there's this opening. I wrote um, a trends book like years ago in the birds opening, which isn't considered to be that great an opening. So this is one F4. Um and and then you you kind of go into some kind of a bit like a, a Leningrad reverse. So you fianchetta your bishop and and develop an attack. Um, but this this opening works well against people that um, play e4 themselves. So they don't know d4 systems so well, and, and particularly kids, right? Because they probably will have played e4 only. Um, and so so f4 on move one against kids that only play e4 that that has worked really well in the past even quite strong kids uh, so that's my little trick but <laughs> okay yeah well i'll try anything <laughs> that's, uh... yeah 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 and you you just kind of do a, a slow positional build up on them and um and they might go like queen c7 and e5 too early and you open up the center but that's 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 one one kid specific opening but it never works against adults at all okay <laughs> And Matthew, I do think you're onto something there with what you mentioned about their sort of tendency to fly through a position um, because and I've noticed that as well. And they don't trip up that often because they're tactically sharp, but it's at least if they were like patient and sharper, it would just be on. And you do come across kids like that. But a lot of them do just kind of move right away and generally play good moves. But at least it gives you hope that you can spring a trap um, at some point. And you know, I would ask you guys if, because here in the U.S., there's been a lot of talk here on the podcast and just generally um, 
it feels like all these strong kids are improving quickly and they're entering the tournament pool, the rating pool, and they're kind of dragging down ratings um, of the existing players. And, you know, old codgers like me complain about it a lot. Um, and I would ask you guys if that was the case too, except I'm friends with Grandmaster, Facebook friends with Keith Arco, who's been on the show as well. And I've seen yeah. his post. He says, you know, like I got congratulated for winning a tournament and I lost, you know, I lost rating points while, mm. while winning this tournament because he said that you guys are experiencing the same phenomenon over there. Yeah, I'm very, I'm, yeah. Yeah, sure, there's a, there's a certain extent of that. But if that's the new normal, then we, we just have to get used to it. I don't, yeah. uh, there's no way I can complain about it because I, I take two children to tournaments and they'll play in an open section at some point. So um, I don't mind playing juniors. It's fine. I, uh, I'll just get on with it. Yeah. Mm. There's definitely a lot of it in um, England that, that there are definitely underrated juniors at the moment. And um, I think one of the things is we want to get more FIDE rated tournaments that junior players can play in just in order to correct it. So there's been the, the few years with COVID where they haven't been able to play as many rated games as they might normally. And so things we've talked, we talked about within the English Chess Federation is how to get a better provision of rated games um, for junior players, which will sort of help correct that a bit. I mean, for me, I, I I sort of don't really watch my rating anymore and it, it doesn't bother me at all. And if I'm going to give away points, I, I, I'm happy to give them to, to juniors. And actually I've played in sometimes like a junior training event and we play rapid play games and, and they say, well, can you play against all the kids? And you know, you're going to, you're going right. to take an absolute pounding at this event, but uh, I actually really enjoy it. Um, and so I, I don't, I don't, don't mind too much, but definitely, definitely um, there's certain tournaments where, the adult players are just happy if they keep their rating the same and um, um, against the kids. And and I also, even just this weekend, uh, an international master who wants to become a grandmaster, he was talking to me and um, he said, well, I'm going to wait a few years until I become actually a senior player. And then I think I'll go for ah. my, my grandmaster, um, my bid for grandmaster, because then I can get my rating up a bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably... I said, watch out for these senior players. They're also good. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys both have good perspective on on not letting it bother you. Um, but yeah, that's that's a probably not the worst idea that the, that the guy has. Well, Matthew, um, on a sort of related topic, I want to talk about chess improvement a bit because you did mention you got back into it in 2013. It sounds like you discovered the great book Chess for Life, which for listeners who aren't familiar, uh, Natasha and I. Um, in an interview that I did with Natasha and Matthew concurrently, we discussed the book some, but um, speaking of being the first in its field, it, to, to my mind, it might have been the first book sort of adult about adult improvement. Definitely the first I recall sort of profiling adults trying to get better at chess, and it's just as relevant today as other as ever. Now, so Matthew, I know you, you, you guys mentioned you had that book, but how else did you sort of begin to wrap your head around how to get better at chess once you got back into it? Yeah, I've used a variety of uh, techniques. I've focused quite a lot on tactics um, once I kind of got some kind of opening repertoire together. And I've used the woodpecker method quite a bit to go through the um, step method books. Um, so I'd take something like step three or step four. I'd take that book. It's got about 600 puzzles in and I'd do the whole book in four weeks. And then I'd do it again in two weeks and then I'd do it again in one week. And then four days, two days, and one day, um, and then take a break at the end of that. 
Um, and then I'd start to find all those tactics popping up in my games, whereas before uh, I wasn't finding them. So I found that to be almost like a bit of magic. Um, wow. It requires some dedication to put in that amount of effort on one book. Um, if you're uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, this is this is step four. And when you do it six times, the whole thing eventually falls apart as uh, you've been leafing through it so much and holding it so much. Um, but I found that I found that very effective way of training tactics. Um, and I just I just look at the um, I just look at the puzzles in the book. I don't set them up on a board or put them online. Um, I will just try and visualize all the way to the end and then check the answers later on. And that's been um, that's been very good for me. Um, and more recently, okay, just, well, hold on, slow down. Yeah. We got to get a few yeah. more details on that. All because, right. Yeah. Um, because you're combining, of course, a few sort of, uh, touchstones that come up here on the pod, one being the woodpecker sure. method and space repetition, but also the chest steps method, which of course mm. is, uh, as we've mentioned many times, a, a Dutch curriculum that you can order as Matthew just showed for those who are watching, uh, these little workbooks, they aim to take you from beginner all the way up to about 2200, um, but my question, Matthew, is how long did this take? Like how many hours a day were you spending when you, uh, were, uh, repeating all of the puzzles, um, over, um, compressed periods of time? Sure. Well, uh, to start with, um, it doesn't, it's not quite so hard. The biggest challenge is actually getting started and believing that you can finish it. So if there are about 600 puzzles in the book over four weeks, that's 150 in a week. So 22 puzzles a day, right? That's two pages of the book. It's about 11 on each page. So um, if you want, you could do uh, one page with breakfast in the morning and one page when you got home in the evening after work or school. And, and you could get through the whole book in four weeks that way. That's not too hard. And then when you come back to it and you've got to do it in two weeks, well, that's two pages in the morning, two in the evening. And if you psychologically chunk it up like this, it's not quite as hard as it might look. And now you're familiar with the puzzles. You solve them much more quickly. And then you get a week. So now I've got to do four pages in the morning, four in the evening. That's okay. I've solved these puzzles twice already. And then we keep going. But as you obviously, as you get down to two days and one day, you need to plan your diary a bit. So on the, on the day, which was uh, completing the whole book in one day, I would make sure that's a weekend. And I'd get up at six in the morning, solve for three hours in the morning, and then solve for three hours in the evening. And I was done. Wow. Okay. So yeah, it is a significant, um, time investment especially considering um sure your family obligations uh but but not three hours every day so no no and it, it, as i hope i've outlined there you can get started with just you know a page in the morning a page in the evening and um i think if you can be begin with the end in mind which is uh, there's a day coming up in about seven or eight weeks time where i'm just going to solve this book in a day i'll have solved the puzzles five times already i've just got to have five or six hours to myself to do this um, then you just work towards that. And um, it's not as daunting as it sounds, but it, it really does work if you put the effort in um, and you just suddenly start seeing these positions in your game. It's, it's fantastic. But, you know, it requires a bit of planning and a bit of dedication, but it's worth it's worth the effort. We'll be back in a minute to hear more about the Woodpecker Method, Zwischenzugs and more. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And we are back. Of course, as Neil Neil Bruce and I did a podcast about the Woodpecker Method and sort of its predecessor, Rapid Chess Improvement, that's a couple years old, but but listeners can still find. And they do mention in the intro to the Woodpecker Method that you can use uh, different materials uh, pitched at a different level because the Woodpecker Method, even the easier puzzles, are reasonably challenging. So is that how you came to using the step method for uh, for your repetition, Matthew? Well, I I got into this by reading Axel Smith's Pump Up Your Rating book, which Great book, yeah. would certainly be on, maybe the top book I would recommend of all the hundreds on my bookshelf in the other room behind me. Um, and I read about it there. Then I actually got the Woodpecker Method book itself, and I applied that method to the first 400 puzzles, um, which I was just doing when I was just commuting each day on the train to work back and forth. Um, and then I'd also discovered the step books, which I was using for some of my coaching. And then I thought, well, hold on a second. I could, I could use this. I could apply this to step books for myself because there's a particular standard of the step book that's relevant for me. And um, I could just get on with it. So I thought, well, I'll give it a go. And um, yeah, it's been really good. So this summer's project will be um, step five. Wow. Oh, you already did step four too. Yeah, yeah, I've done step three, step three extra, step four, step four extra, I think, something like that. Yeah. Wow. Step five gets pretty hard, so you'll, you'll have to uh, report back to us on, on that. And Natasha, so you mentioned uh, a lot of the tournaments you're attending, there's a decent chance for preparation, um, especially, I think, in senior events, you might know who your opponent's mm. going to be in advance. Are, and I know you've got, you know, you, you mentioned before we started recording, you're working four days a week as an actuary. You're interested mm. in show, uh, shogi and go. So uh, this is a long way of asking you, are you doing some sort of tactics work too, or is that not happening yeah. at the moment? And don't feel bad because I haven't been doing my tactics lately. Um, yeah, I do find tactics is very helpful in the lead up to a tournament. Um, and so like for the, for the senior stuff, then if I'm doing it sort of every day for two weeks in advance then then that's good um and obviously i've been um writing this course so i've been doing a stack of tactics just just by doing that because i've been um playing through every time it comes up um on chessable i've been playing through the tactics in the course which i feel like has made me a whole load sharper because i do also do um uh chess streaming and commentary and um and and so with that so sometimes i'm like 
commentating together with a grandmaster or title player. Um, and that also helps as well, because then I'm looking at the position. I, I think about what I, I'm thinking is the right moves to do. And then um, whoever I'm commentating with might be saying a different idea or, or saying tactics there. And then you get what moves the people actually play. Um, so that helps to keep me sharp um, as well. But what I would say with um, playing other games is um, that I, I have this this sort of time. If I go from one tournament to a different tournament in a different game, I have to take like a, a day or two to just switch my focus. It's, I actually find it quite hard switching um, between the games and I need to do the tactics of the different games um, just to get my head in the right um, place to go, say, from, I, I, I guess, chess to shogi and back um, is one of my frequent switches. Um, and then, yeah, so so tactics is, is definitely a very good training. I also, I do some learning openings, but I'd say the, the, the tactics is the thing I find really makes a difference if I do that just before a tournament. Yeah, I can't imagine what it must be like switching between games. So, um, sorry, Natasha, I know you out of Shogi and Go, you got into one of them more recently. Can you remind me which one exactly is the recent right. passion? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I, 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 um, I've obviously been playing chess for years and years. I got into Go in 1999. So way back I learned it. And then actually for a whole year, I played no chess at all and just played Go and got, <laughs> I was doing, um, Go problem books and Go strategy, um, Sort of all the time for that year, I got really, really into it and then played tournaments and went all around Europe to play tournaments and all sorts of things. Um, then um, then uh, we wrote Game Changer and Game Changer was about Alpha Zero and Alpha Zero had learnt chess, go and shogi and learnt them all to superhuman level. And then I thought, well, I know chess and I know go and I've played both of those for England, but I've never played shogi at all. Um, and and actually, one of the guys at Deep Mind knew a tiny bit of shogi. I mean, we're both complete beginners, really. But he said he would play um, some shogi games with me. So we we started off sort of um, in the Deep Mind office and just kind of played pretty much at random. But we 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 kind of knew the moves. Um, and then, but then I got really hooked on shogi. So that was in um, I guess late twenty eighteen, um, early twenty nineteen. I was um learning shogi um Matthew Sadler learned it as well we both improved really really fast um and we played in um there was like a, a British championships they had and actually Matthew got to the he was in the playoff for the the final uh, he got to the final uh, so he was very nearly British champion at shogi having learned only like a year Jeez. before <laughs> but he, he he did a lot of yeah he did a lot of studying the tactics and studying positions as well um, but then I did on um, last year, 2022, I played in the European Shogi Championship um, and I was the top woman there. So I was very pleased with that. But it's it's a kind of a lovely game. If you already know chess, it's quite easy to pick up in that some of the pieces are exactly the same. So like the rook's exactly the same, the bishop's exactly the same. And some of the pieces are a bit different. It's got a very much a forward bias and you an, an attacking bias as well. So pieces can go forwards much easier than they retreat. And uh, what you can do when you take a piece, you can 
it, it goes from the opponent's army into your army. So um, then as your move, you can drop it on the board. So it's a little bit like um, Crazy House at chess, where you can drop a piece back on the board. Um, but it's 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 really good game. I, I thoroughly recommend it uh, to your viewers. Um in that there's no draws, it's all kind of checkmates and tactics. Um, and and actually some of the tactics in chess and some of the tactics in shogi are similar, but there's also things that will throw you off. So for example, pawns in chess take capture diagonally, whereas pawns in shogi capture forwards. Ah. And so if you go straight from one game to the other, and then you, you kind of feel like you're defending your queen with a pawn from, it's just the square behind it. And for example, so you can you can get these, these kind of, blind spots where you're um confusing the two games and i've heard i've heard like some top chess players that also play shogi have have made sort of blunders by thinking the pieces move like the shogi pieces instead of the chess pieces um but but yeah there's this there's, there's there are players that are very good at both so there's like um a um japanese shogi player who also got to im level at um chess and was was playing some of the english players um, he got there quickly if i recall correctly right he got there very quickly and also yeah. then you can even when you if you play through his games uh the way he beat he beat a friend of mine um grandmaster peter wells and he um he did it by doing this kind of sacrifice um and then and then pieces in and checkmate which is exactly a shogi kind of right. attack so some of the yeah some of the attacks you you do in um it, it's big on deflection attacks as well shogi so you just kind of drop a piece deflect the king and then take something and th those kind of attacks you you kind of um it all about the initiative as well so uh you 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 don't want to take material only you want to keep that initiative keep attacking um in shogi and so it, it kind of trains you in that the sort of value of having the initiative um always knowing where the opponent's king is and and and, and keeping focused on the king um as opposed to just kind of trying to mop up material and and let me ask you natasha so when you try to get better at shogi is there like a mm. clear consensus about what you should do well now one thing is there's not so much material in the english language so so most you know because shogi's uh most of the, sh the really top shogi players are japanese um there's a lot of material in japanese however there's a very good stream in the english language by the only european professional player or she was professional uh, karolina stajinska she's a polish player um, and she has this stream called Shogi Harbor, and she, so uh, she her her sort of aim is to help Western players become better at Shogi. But she did a lovely stream that your viewers might be interested in, which was there was this game in the World Shogi League between Peter Heiner Nielsen, hmm. um, as in Magnus II, and Matthew Sadler, and they were playing um, in Division Two of the World Shogi League, and they had a big match. So. Um, she commentated on this match, um, and uh, and uh, lots of shogi players and chess players watched that, which was well, lots of fun. Fun stuff. I'm scared to get into another game. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where I would <laughs> find the time. Matthew, are you tempted? Uh, well, I've still got plenty of chess to learn, so uh, I'm focusing on one on one game for now. I did buy my son a, a Go board and set, and we had a few games, and he just completely wiped me out. So uh, I know my limitations. Okay, that makes sense. And bringing it back to chess, Matthew. So you mentioned steps method, lots of tactics. Um, any other and uh, pump up your rating, which I agree is a great book. Um, 
any other uh, standout recommendations? Because uh, I know that, that you've made good progress in your 50s, as, as I mentioned in the intro. Yeah, I use uh, Chess Mood. Um, really like the way that's put together and presented, and they're always adding new content. Uh, I do use Chessable for um, a lot of my opening uh, repertoire. Um, and so I get a lot, I get a lot from that. Um, I will do tactics on chess.com or Lee Chess um, and try and get a kind of higher score on that. Uh, Puzzle Rush Survival on chess.com I quite like. Um, and uh, you, you can think for as long as you want. It's not the three or five minute one. You get as long as you, as long as you want to solve each one. So you can right. even just take a break and come back to it and um, kind of get a bit of get a bit of a buzz once you get over a particular number and see yourself on the global leaderboard for the hour that's uh, right that that's that's quite good fun um so yeah all of those things and um i, I read a lot of other chess books as well so uh, some recent ones i've enjoyed invisible chess moves i found that quite inspiring and uh, based some coaching lessons off some ideas in that just uh, ways of thinking differently about uh, particular situations and tackling blind spots uh, i've enjoyed that sort of thing and the other thing i do is when i'm coaching um uh, i'm coaching my class at the local chess club i always try and pick topics where i'm going to learn something as well that's a good idea um and how often are you managing to compete matthew um good question i might do up to somewhere between five and ten tournaments a year but i also play in the local chess league for my local club where i'm captain of one of our teams and so that's probably once a fortnight we have a we have a match the the more british people i interview the more jealous i get of the leagues I think. yeah yeah oh and we have cup competitions as well so uh, uh we yeah we, we we keep we keep busy with all of that and then i play for the county the kind of equivalent of a state in america um, for the under eighteen fifty team, and we have uh, matches against other counties. Okay. Um, so uh, there's quite a there's quite a lot going on, and the, the season really runs uh, September to June, um, and then we kind of gear up for the British Championship, which is usually uh, uh, late July. Okay. And Natasha, so you mentioned you were running through some of the Zwischen's puzzles and some of your mm. tactical work, but where does this collaboration enter the picture? Like, how, what's the uh, origin story of the Zwischen's course? Yeah, so that actually that was the idea of the topic was Matt's idea, um, but actually a friend of yours, wasn't it, Matt? <laughs> a chap called yes. Ray. A chap, chap called Ray Cannon. We were... Uh, I was at, at a rapid play tournament uh, that both Natasha and I have played in. And uh, Ray said, oh, let's analyze the game that you just lost. And, uh, we were moving some pieces. And then I I said, oh, I took, he took, and we played on. He said, he you didn't look for the intermediate move. Put the pieces back on the board. You didn't look for the intermediate move. You just took them off. You know, that's not analyzing. Slow down. Takes. Was there an intermediate move? You tell me. It doesn't matter if there was or there wasn't. You have to look for it. And um, this happened a couple of times during this analysis, and I was getting a good telling off from uh, Ray. In his day, used to play against uh, English GMs and so on. So he's a very good player. And um, I promised him that from then on, I would not only look for the intermediate move, I would do a series of lessons at my chess club on intermediate moves, just to drill it into me as well. And then as I researched this topic, I just found it more and more interesting but I found I couldn't quite get exactly the material that I wanted. 
And so I needed to make kind of more of my own. And um, the sessions went well with the kids and so on. But I just thought there's more to this topic than I've been able to cover. And, and we, were, uh, so, we were kind of yeah. talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and I thought it sounded really interesting. And so you kind of showed me some of the suspicions you'd found. Yeah. And um, so we were, we looked for some more and just from the database. So first of all, we started off um, by searching in annotations to see if we could uh, come up with some more interesting positions. And um, and when you do it like that, you actually get a different type of tactic. So like traditionally, the tactics you might see in books is a very highly tactical sequence where uh, someone takes something, then you do something uh, instead of recapturing. Um, when you look in um, annotations, then you quite often get a, a bit more of a positional um I say puzzle, but a position, you know, positional sequence, um, because it might be throwing in a pawn move to attack a piece to get it onto a slightly different square. And then all the pieces happen to be in the right positions in order to make a tactic work or even in order to get some kind of positional gain. So so looking um, for, for those terms and we also search for intermezzo and intermediate move um, and looking for all those terms, pulling out all the games, what we did was then play through them all um and and then um i thought well let, we've got to put these in a spreadsheet and actually categorize them and uh so so then it was like first of all we were looking at pattern no first of all no that why why it was a forcing move um and which patterns and then i was also coding in sort of what, what is the outcome so um does it lead to material checkmate or um uh, just getting your pieces further forward, all these sorts of things, and then w once we'd we'd written those all up, there were there were these themes that were occurring again and again, um, and this actually was then really really interesting because then we grouped them according to the themes, and we grouped them according to the outcomes, and we grouped them according to the forcing moves, um, and this then particularly the patterns. I think um, we found the same sort of patterns on the chessboard. So when I say patterns, it could be uh, I think one we hadn't really been expecting, although you might think it's obvious you do get checks on the diagonal up to the king, uh, the castle king. Um, it, it was happening really a lot that there was an intermediate move um, that involved a check on the castle king. Um, and then there were some other patterns. And actually one I want to tell you about um, is really nice where and, and this happened in the Ding-Nepo match. And it also happened, there was a mistake in the Carlson-Anand match. And this is one particular setup of pieces. And Matt came up with a name for it, which was the, he call, he's called it connected rooks. In this case, it was rooks. And that's where you have two rooks lined up, um, a, a black rook and a right, white rook on the same row with one piece in between of that same color. And so the idea is you can move that piece out of the way with tempo, and then you're uncovering attack on the other piece. And by calling it this name, like connected rooks, connected queens, connected bishops, I, I've certainly found it really, really helpful now in looking at a position I haven't seen before, because the first thing I do, like even when I'm commentating or whatever, I say, there's connected queens. And, yeah. and so immediately I'm looking out for this piece moving out of the way. And so it's helped me become in those kind of positions become a whole load sharper. Um, We've got another one a bit like that, which we called mutual on prise. And that's if your queen's attacked and their queen's attacked, or two pieces of the, a similar value. 
Um, and then if if you've got that situation on the board and it's your move, there's it's really quite often that there's a tactic. So you might be able to say, move your queen out of the way and give a check or attack a different piece or, or whatever, um, but have a forcing move. And then you can go back and take their queen. So I think chess players will will kind of know instinctively about these positions like mutual on prees. Um, but having a name for it, it's kind of made it for me anyway, made it a whole lot easier to spot when I'm doing tactical puzzles or when I'm um, doing commentaries or playing in my own games. I'm, I'm just sort of a lot more alert about that kind of position than opening up the possibility of tactics that I might not previously have have thought about looking for. Yeah, I noticed in going through the course that you guys had a, a lot of creative names, and I, I do think it, it makes a difference in terms of one's ability to to memorize it. So um, I don't know where you like, where did you guys come up with? When did you realize that 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 needed to be included? And then how did you come up with all the names? And either well, one of you could take this. Yeah. So um, uh, I think as we were categorizing them and realizing each of these was going to be a chapter um, in the chessable course, uh, it, it made sense to call the chapter something interesting. And, you know, one of the one of the things I'm always doing with my coaching is it's not just got to be challenging. It's got to be fun. It's got to be engaging. And it's got to be a little bit different. And um, uh, I kind of like coming up with uh, catchy names for stuff and, you know, kind of, uh, looking at techniques used by world memory champions it's kind of the crazier the association uh the more likely you are to remember it where there's kind of boring and bland you can't really um you can't really strike an association with it so i'm always looking for these little connections and ideas uh for different uh, to to call different things you know we have one at we have one at my chess club um uh in every chess book it will be called cosio's mate but no one can remember what that is right let alone who was who was Mr. Cosio? Um, so at our chess club, we call that king in the pocket, where the king is kind of in this little pocket with two pawns, and you put a queen diagonally next to it, and all the kids can say, "Oh, that's a king in the pocket, mate, coming up." No one ever says it's Cosio's mate. So with all due respect to Cosio and his uh, handy anti Roy Lopez opening, um, uh, if you can find a name that people can associate and remember with it. Um, they'll just find it much more easy on the board. And it, it's interesting hearing Natasha say that because, you know, she's a great tactical player. It's um, really one of her strengths in her game. And uh, if, if this is working for her, it really should be working for everybody. Yeah, I actually am looking up Cozio's mate because, of course, I've read books like How to Beat Your Dad at Chess. And I, yeah, I'm, yeah. A big, I'm a big fan of um of the Checkmate Patterns manual, as I, I actually talk about. But um I tend to gloss over the names too. I'm I I recognize the patterns, but yeah, the mm. names some often if it's just like some, you know, some dude and, you know, for better or for worse, it usually is a dude from yeah. from 300 years ago. It, it is it doesn't necessarily um, you know, evoke anything. No, I got I I got one last season. I was down to 5 seconds on my clock and my my opponent just put his king in the perfect position and my head was going, that's, that's king in the pocket, stick it in there. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I got to the, I got to the mate before the time ran out. So uh, it's uh, a fruit of my own labors coming back to help me. We'll be back in a minute with more from Natasha and Matt. And we are back for anyone listening who might be interested in the course. Uh, what rating level would you guys say uh, it's pitched toward? 
Yeah, it, it's. I think it covers quite a large range because we we start with basic puzzles, but actually um, the, the the top level puzzles are well. We had um, sort of twenty two hundred player doing a, a whole lot of <clears throat> testing on the course, and there were definitely ones that that he wasn't able to solve, and he was getting stuff out of it. So I'd say, um, what uh, you know, from lower end, Matt, what would you say? Um, I think from fifteen, sixteen hundred up, it's very accessible. Um, but I mean, you could do the forcing moves chapter uh, below that. Um, but yeah, you can certainly get above two thousand yeah. and still get a lot out of it, particularly the master games uh, section, which was uh, yeah. certainly Natasha's inspiration. I definitely feel like I've learned a lot out of it, um, and uh, players, the, the players, a couple of players that were stronger than me also were um, testing it and also were. There was, a, there was a lot of stuff they didn't know first time. Okay. And so you mentioned, Natasha, it's made you feel sharper. Now, do you do you have any tournaments coming up? Like any any chance to oh, test yes, this? Yes, I more? do. Yes, yes, yes. I've got um, the <coughs> European senior teams in Poland. Um, so that's, uh, oh, what, less than a month's time um, I'm playing in that. And then also the British Championship after that. Um, so yes, a couple of tournaments coming. Those are big events. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think we may end up in the same section in this weekend tournament at the British. So uh, we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Is that the British Championships, Matthew? Where you're referring yeah. to? Okay. Yeah, in late July. Yeah. Okay, and I know that they've. I believe they've changed the format at different times over the years. Like, is it um, an, is it an open tournament these days? How is it structured? Yeah. So they have. Um... A, a championship section and a major open um, and also then sort of rating limited tournaments they have seniors tournaments juniors tournaments um, and also rapid play and blitz so they've got a whole lot of different events on um, and I think this year it's two weekends and one for week so um, that's for for working people that's that's a lot easier than having when you have two full weeks and then the yeah. weekend in between yeah, that makes sense. And so, Natasha, you you mentioned earlier. So, as you get ready for a tournament, it's primarily tactics that you're you're working on. Yeah, tactics plus. I mean, I I might learn one new opening for a a, a tournament. I would I would, um, not try and learn too many new openings because I I wouldn't remember them all. But I I maybe learn one opening. Um, depending on yeah. So you might play something you'd never play. Definitely tactics. Definitely. So I, I actually do. I actually do often play things I've never played before. <coughs> Excuse me. And the um, and the the reason for that, right, is is actually you know as I play so many different games as well, I I sort of am quite used to um, improvising and and um, playing things from positions I don't know. I actually I actually like that. I find that quite interesting if I can play from a position I don't know. The thing with chess though is it's you can't always do it because you can just get into a position that's lost um, before you've really had much chance. So that's that's a bit of a shame. So if I can get into an okay position out of the opening, then I'm 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 sort of happy. And I do often I, I enjoy trying new openings. So I will I'll quite often play something I haven't played before. That's good. I mean, first of all, because as you mentioned, I think the types of tournaments you're playing, there's there can be lead time for the opponent. So you don't want to be sort of like a um a stationary target 
for mm-hmm. for your opponents. But I think that some people struggle with finding the confidence to to play something new. Um, has that ever been an issue for you, Natasha? And do you have any advice for someone who might feel like, you know, I want to play this new opening, but I'm so much more comfortable with what I've been playing for a long time? Yeah, um, I suppose sometimes this this isn't going to sound great, but sometimes it's born out of you, you're actually not feeling happy with the thing you normally play, so you right. want to just try some, try something different. So I, 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 in in that situation, it's not that I, I I I don't have to feel particularly confident to try the new thing. I just want to try something different, or um, and and also um, I, I've got like in my repertoire certainly for my white repertoire i've got three different starting moves that i use regularly um so i i can kind of vary it like that and look at what the opponent plays and vary that way but also it's it's actually more what mood i'm in um as to what i play um and black i i have two main openings against e4 and against d4 i have several different ones that i that i try although um Yes, I do some more than others, of course. Um, so I so I have different ones I can do, and then I do occasionally sort of throw in something I haven't played before and, <laughs> and just see what happens. That's that's a good attitude. It's impressive. Um, and Matthew, what's been your approach to to openings? Um, I was playing a particular D four line, and I just got into a rut with it. And um, I just realized that I had to change it to something else. Um, so, and from there, um, I realized it was much better if I change it a bit more often than I was doing. So last season, I was playing a particular thing. This season is why I'm playing something completely different. And I've really enjoyed um, the kind of more positional understanding I've got with uh, this season's opening. And I'm just about to start uh, completely overhauling my black openings, uh, which have always been uh, very similar. And um, I think as you go up the rating scale, you also need to evolve it uh, because stuff that worked at one level just won't work, you know, one or two steps up. And uh, you need to get a bit more theoretical um, and uh, understand the kind of middle game positions a bit more um so the kind of the theory work goes up once you get past 1800 um and to do that i try and cast my net very widely if i'm playing a particular opening or want to learn it then i'll see what's on chessable i'll see what books i've got or could get i'll see what chess-based dvds i've got or could get i'll look at some online video stuff if there's something available um and uh chess-based database i'll go through as well and have a look at what's going on there and then i'll bring all of that together and decide which lines i want to play um and uh, usually probably just following one particular course whether that's a chessable course or a a chess-based thing or whatever um but where i don't like the lines then i'm using all these other sources to find the one that i like Okay. Um, and uh, then I might actually put it in a private chessable course myself, these extra lines, build them up into something. Um, and I may use that for space repetition, but I may also use it as a very quick reference tool. Because if you're at a tournament and all you've got is your phone, you know, you're not dialing into your chess-based database. But right. it's much easier to just quickly access your lines uh, that you hold in a private chessable course. So I've used that quite a bit and found that found that quite useful. Um, and then post-morteming your games is absolutely vital for all types of learning and analyzing. Um, but obviously, you know, 
where was I out of my book in the opening? And what can I learn as a result of, you know, the next few moves in particular, I found very useful. All right. Great, great advice there. And are either of you guys working with a coach? No, no, but I, I do, I do talk to, to strong players on, on stuff and uh, yeah. So not, not a coach exactly. Okay. So I've used some coaches ad hoc over the past few years, kind of deliberately. So, partly because I use the chess mood content and approach as a kind of regular um, coach, if you like, talking to me and giving me the stuff that I want. Um, but I use a coach to kind of check in on where I am and where I think, um, would you just have a look at these recent games and give me some pointers as to what I should study next? So, so I, I, yeah. So you pay them for that? Or is this like someone you're friendly with? or uh, It might be either. Depends on who I'm using. Okay. Um, I've paid. I've paid for you know a, a local IM uh, to come and help me for a couple of hours, which was great. And we looked at my choices of piece trading, and I need to go away and work on that. And then I don't need the coach to you know monitor my progress. Because, right. Yeah. Exactly. As you've probably worked out, I'm reasonably disciplined about what I want to do once I decide what I want to learn. And then um, as a colleague of mine who's a, one of the highest rated players at our club, we just did a we did a kind of Zoom call for an hour. He looked at some of my games. And he just gave me a couple of pointers. And one was this this position in this game, it's like this Kappa Blanca game against William Winter, I think it was. So go and have a look at that. And actually, you may want to study some classical games. And so I went away and looked at that one game and then thought, yeah, I do want to study some classical games. When I was taking my FIDE coaching course, pretty much every trainer on that course said, go and study more classical games. So I used the Chess Mood 100 classical games and kind of did one of those a day, basically. Okay. Uh, yeah. Until it until it was done. <laughs> yeah, there, there's some some beautiful games uh, in there. Um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good thing. So the, the the coach then is just kind of checking in with me on my. I'm using them as a check in at a particular point when I want some advice that I can't quite give myself or find myself on what I need to fine tune next. Um, and then I can go and and then I can go and do it. You know, other people will use coaches in other ways, and that and that's absolutely great too. You know, some some people I coach one to one want something more regular, uh, and that's fine too. Yeah, um, excellent. Well, there's there's so much I could talk about. I mean, but between Natasha's interest in games and Matthew, I mean, you you've been involved in in chess since you've come back in in um, so many different aspects of, of the mm -hmm. game. Um, are, are there any other sort of major observations you have from this sort of re-entry into the chess world, Matthew? Uh, well, I suppose if you have taken a break for quite a while and you're wondering if you should get back in, yeah, start soon. Don't put it <laughs> off. Um, I, f I found you won't, uh, you won't regret it. Um, and uh, yeah, I had some time away doing some other stuff and that was, and that was fine too, but I was, I'm really pleased I got back into it and it's just become, you know, a, a bigger and bigger part of what, of what I do. Um, so I, I, I'd certainly advise that. Um, I think when we were talking about junior players earlier, I, I think the, the typical standard of junior player now is just so much better than it, it was when I was, when I was playing. Um, the, the, the things my kids know and understand compared with what I knew when I was 12, I, it's just night and day. And I think that's a lot about the, um, coaching methods, the availability of material, internet, chess, and so on, 
you know, I mean, I barely had a chess book. I just kind of taught, taught myself and that, that would only ever get me so far. And I think the availability of material now is just fantastic. You know, the, the challenge is, you know, not where do I get something from, but from this vast array, what do I actually choose? And uh, I, I think overall, uh, particularly when you're getting back into it, don't obsess about openings. You know, games below 1800 are mostly settled by tactics and end games. So that's not a bad place to start. You just got to get a playable position in the middle game and um, uh, focus on that. And you'll you'll learn your theory as you as you go up the rating level. Couldn't agree more. Definitely some some good advice there. And Natasha, so you mentioned you've got these big tournaments coming up, um, mm. sort of national stage. Does this mean that you have to set aside the shogi or like, you know, how, how does that work um, when you've got so many other interests competing with chess? It's true, actually. Um, yeah. And I, I have a, um, a shogi online match I need to do each month, certainly. Um, uh, which I will play, and I also, but I also have this um, online monthly um, abstract games competition. You have to learn four new games in the month. Wow! And this is this is this is really hardcore, crazy stuff. Um, and so, and and some of my friends are just very good at the all these different types of games. So I, I go and I have um, sort of online practices with them. Um, but what I will do is say I'm not available for the month of July um, <laughs> because it will just be too much. So I've got I've got to learn Hive and um, what's this other one? I, I I can't even remember the names of the games. Hive is about surrounding a queen bee with ants or something, um, which actually looks like quite a nice game. But um, that that one's for June, so I can I'm, I'm doing that. But then July I will have a month off learning new games um, and concentrate just on the chess. Makes sense. Well. Natasha, it was good to catch up, and I certainly wish you luck Great in the chest. Thank you. And Matthew, you'll be at the British Championship too? Oh, yeah. And uh, we're also doing a joint kind of lecture on Zvishenzuk's uh, yes. uh, championships as well. So oh. uh, Wednesday at the British Championships, we'll we be are. there. Excellent. Yes. Okay. And um, are, if any listeners, I mean, of course, they should check out the chessable course, uh, Zwischenzug. Any other way, if they have any questions or concerns, I'm guessing you guys will be active in the uh, comments on the course, if nothing else. Yes, definitely. Yes. And and we'll try Yes, we'll try and uh, keep doing events. And um, I don't know. We, we we had plans to post post Zugs when we saw them, but we haven't. They're, they're not far advanced yet. So, so we'll have to keep an eye out for that. Sounds good. Okay. Well, it's been great chatting with both of you and uh, good luck in the upcoming tournaments. Thank you. And thank good you. luck with your book as well. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> looking, looking, yeah right. looking, forward, looking forward to adding that one to my book collection. Thank you. Yeah. A lot of the stuff we've talked about is touched on in the book. So as you're talking, I'm like, do I need to go back and add something about this? Do I add something about this? Oh, no. But that process never ends, you know? So at some point you just have to... Uh, you know, it's like sending your kids off to school. <laughs> you close the door and, uh, you know, hope for the best. So that's about yeah. where I am. But but thanks, guys. This has been fun. Thank okay. you Thank very you. much. It's All been right. great. Sports Social Podcast Network.